in verse 15. It says, But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for uh, who you are. Thank you that uh, you loved us uh, without being tainted by sin. Uh, you were perfect. You did not have to be justified by the law. You were already just. You were the one that started the law. Uh, Lord, thank you. Uh, there's just there's just not words we can describe that when we try to figure out who your character is, you, you are the beginning. You are the Alpha and Omega. It starts with who you are. It's not like you came into a system and, and, and did it well. You are the system. And so we thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy. Help us during this time, Lord. May our love for another increase. We pray that you would uh, be well pleased with what is done here in this next hour. So we pray that you have already been pleased since we have been here this morning. Thank you again for actually desiring to be with us. In your name, amen. So I've really enjoyed, again, these messages that have come out. I thought uh, they were done really well and, and practical. Um, anytime you start talking about why we do what we do, it can get a little interesting. Some questions might pop up in your head that you didn't have. I was amazed that a lot of us didn't do any questions. I felt bad because when I meet with the elders, I got like 18 questions every time. But um, <laughs> they're, they're still there. They're still there to uh, answer questions. But I was thinking about, again, just the simplicity of how we get along here in the assembly. What happens if some of these messages came out and we disagree with what was said or uh, how we should do things here? How does that look? If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Is it possible that believers could be the ones biting and devouring each other? Is it possible that those who go to church can actually be consumed by the idea of biting and devouring one another? All in the name of maybe trying to stand up for what's right. It's interesting. To uh, bite if you look up that word in the original, supposedly, if my studies are correct, it's the only time it's used. It has the idea, he's using an illustration of wild dogs that just go crazy attacking each other until the point where they actually kill each other in the process. And so to actually bite would mean to wound the soul. It's more than just a dog or an animal putting their teeth into something as the idea of you're wounding someone's soul. You're cutting it and lacerating their soul. I actually have a big band-aid. I'm sorry if it's distracting. I cut myself pretty good with the knife yesterday. Um, if I didn't stop myself, I probably would have gone to the bone. It was a nice knife. My wife wanted me to maybe think about getting stitches. I was man enough to say, just wrap it up. 
My mother actually heard of it, and I actually humbled myself. She said, send me a picture of that finger. I said, Mom, I'm not doing that. And I did. And I still was man enough to say, I'm just doing Band-Aids. Probably because I was too cheap to go to the walk-in and pay for it out of my HSA. But I digress. So, the point is, I was thinking about this. It's pretty interesting. When you cut your finger, if ever any of you have ever had a bad cut, um, the pain goes away. And it's interesting that the pain only comes back when you actually use your finger. So... There's times like I've, I've, caught, I've cut myself really bad and, and the pain goes away and you're fine. And, and that night, in the middle of the night, you like go grab something. You go, <laughs> I forgot. That's right. Or even today as, uh, you know, maybe typing up notes or stuff like that. There, there's no pain in my finger now, but as soon as I push down on it, it's, oh, that's right. I'm cut. <laughs> and so I was thinking about that when it came to uh, wounding the soul. It would seem like sometimes in church, people, maybe us, have been, quote, bitten by people who are brothers and sisters. And you don't really consider yourself someone who's in pain. You don't really think of it until you try to get close to someone else. Until you try to kind of use your soul, so to speak. Until you try to love and serve. And then you feel pain. Because you realize the cut's still there. And it's still deep. So a lot of times I think it's easy to sit there when someone asks you at church on a Sunday morning, is everything fine? You actually say yes, just like I feel no pain right now. But there's a difference between having no pain and then when you're trying to actually do something and work within the assembly, now there's pain. Now there's pain. And it's a big warning that Paul is giving the church of Galatia saying, hey, you better, you better beware. Now, to me, it's funny that there even have to be a warning of that. Hey, guys, watch out. You might actually bite and devour one another. What are you, talk, what are you talking about? Why would Christians do that? Oh, beware. And actually, you can get to the point where you're consumed by it. To devour meant to utterly consume. To utterly consume. It's not like the wild dogs are just going to try to hurt each other and then kind of someone wins and then go on their way. It's to the death. They are utterly consumed with destroying the other animal. I was pretty proud of myself. I, under Ron's advice, I had a big wood-chipped pile. I had, I'd been building branches in my backyard for years. And I wanted to get a wood chipper, and I didn't. So Ron said, dude, just do a big brush pile. And I said, that could be fun. And so I got to the point where I had enough hot coals that were probably almost like a foot high of just hot coals. And now it's really fun if you're a guy and you like fires. And I had these big pine logs, and I just, I just threw the whole log on top of the coals. And it started to slowly get consumed by the fire. Because typically those things won't really burn much at all. They're just so big. But this fire was so hot, it started to kind of get within the cracks. And in fact, it got to the point where I was safe around 10, 30, 11 at the campfire. I went, I actually took my hose, and I doused, I doused the fire. A lot of white smoke. I went out the next day. The log was gone. Well, I should, it was probably about this big, but it actually was burning from the inside. So even the outside, uh, the whole thing was consumed. The whole thing. And I thought, wow, that was a hot fire. And I think 
it took a it took all night to really consume it. You know, when we talk about biting and devouring one another, it's it's never usually a short thing. It's never a oh I said something once and I just had a bad day. You have a lifestyle of being critical. You have a lifestyle of pointing out everyone's flaws. You have a lifestyle of meeting other people and just thinking the worst. And it consumes your thoughts. I was really challenged myself when I kept reading this over and over and over again. I thought, am am I consumed by these things? Am I consumed with how other people are acting? And why would I be? How does it actually even affect me? Am I consumed? If I see someone in the assembly that has a different theological viewpoint as me, does that just ping on my mind for hours and maybe days? Do those thoughts run to my mind when we're downstairs having coffee and it's just a random Sunday and I'm going, I know what you think on that topic. Can the church actually get to the point where we're consumed with that stuff? And again, when we see each other downstairs having coffee, and you say, how's life? I say, great. How's yours? Great. And the thought process is totally different. Beware, lest you be completely consumed. Is it possible that we can be so consumed with each other's lives and or mistakes, our misinterpretations that our arguing can actually lead to the death of relationships? When the verse before it says the law is summed up in love your neighbor. For practically, I would tell you this. Ecclesiastes 7.21 says, Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. You know, even the Bible would say, listen, take a breather. Don't listen to everything that's said about you. If you go on to read, it says, because how many times have you talked about people? It is a conscious choice that we would focus on what's right, focus on what's good, and actually focus on the positive. Why are these people fighting? What is the conflict here? And this is where I said we start to pan out. The book of Galatians is all about freedom. It's actually pretty cool. And I found myself really going, man, I'm starting to to see the, the beauty Um, and see the value of being free. Being free from sin, uh, being free from um, justification of of self-righteousness, just all that God has really freed us from on the cross. In fact, if you go back to the first verse here in chapter 5, It says this, and I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version. You might have a little subnote on the bottom of your Bible. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And there is awesome Bible study in chapter uh, 4, if you want it, talking about Hagar and Abraham, the son of the free, the son of the bond, Jerusalem, the law. I mean, there's just, there's lots there. Go at it. But 
He's saying, listen, for freedom, Christ set us free. I just kept rolling that over and over in my mind. What, is, what does that even mean? What does that mean that Christ set me free for freedom itself? That what was on Christ's heart was just this idea of, I want you to be free. I want to get you out of the slavery of sin. I don't want it to have power over you. There's so many times we've said that in the Christian walk, it seems like all we focus on is that he has, he has taken away the penalty of our sin, but the cross also takes away the power of sin. That people can be freed from it. That they're no longer entangled. And we hear those verses, right? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? And things like that? what's the answer? It's still the blood of Christ. And that this is on his heart. Listen, I just, I want you to be free for freedom's sake. You don't, you don't have to be entangled. You don't have to sin. And I love, Jesus loves freedom. He loves it. Stand fast in that. And what was happening here was two things. The main uh, piece of it was that people are getting saved and the issue of circumcision is coming up. People are going, hey, uh, we're all about the gospel. We're also all about being Jewish. And so tell these people to get circumcised. Now, it's funny to me, again, that we think, like, ah, who would ever do that? And I just want you to think in your own life the things that you would go to death for. In church. What would you go to death for? Jewish people are going to death for circumcision. That is part of culture. That's part of what Father Abraham gave them. It sets them apart. And now you got people preaching a gospel that says these Gentiles that got saved don't have to do it. And they got a problem with that. They have the problem with that. And and so as they were doing this, there's um, that whole piece of kind of um, self-justification. That we, we, we still want the law and we still want to be able to do good works to prove ourselves to God. And then it's interesting as you get past verse 15 in chapter 5. He says, I say then walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then there is in slavery to the flesh. That you keep sinning. And so there's this dichotomy that he's addressing both. That Christ wants to set us free from under the law and from our sinful nature. Because it seems like we get to pick one. Either you're bent towards just trying to be legalistic and, and following the law. Or you're bent towards sin really doesn't matter. And I'm just going to do my thing. And he's saying actually we're going we're gonna to rise above all of that. We're going to rise above all that. And again those two issues of trying to justify yourself or just indulging in sin is sometimes what they're arguing about. Lest you, lest you bite and devour one another. Hey, guys, let's come together. Let's be unified. You're fighting over these things. I thought it was interesting. Someone said this, The legalist satisfies himself and presumably God he thinks by adhering to a strict external code of do's and don'ts, which he imagines demonstrates his self-righteous suitability for heaven. The, law, the lawless libertine, on the other hand, satisfies himself by rejecting all codes and living completely according to his personal lusts and desires. They are both man-centered and destructive in their theology. Satan has something for everybody, and both extremes are bondage. When we fight with ourselves, are we putting ourselves in bondage? We fight either to fulfill our flesh 
or to try to justify ourselves. Well, let's look at where he wants us to be free from being under the law. What was it about it? And again, a lot of this is contextual here. What was it about it that wanted the people to just keep this circumcision going? What was it about the human heart during this time where they were like, listen, I'm, you know, I'm glad these guys are getting saved, but they better get circumcised. I would think it was this. I think we have a natural human tendency that we want outward evidence of something rather than inward. Outward evidence. If someone is circumcised, it proves that they join something and that they put themselves under the law. See, it's not good enough to just sit there and hear that someone got saved. I better see the works so you can prove to me, even though we know that works didn't save you, I still want to see the works. Can it be like this in church? Can we argue about things and we think they're biblical and yet a lot of times we're just looking for something on the outward that proves your dedication to Christ? Some outward appearance. And again, I would just say that outward appearances are not all that bad, but the point is, is that we always focus on them and never what's on the inside. The people here seem to be missing the point that people are getting saved. That Gentiles are coming to the Savior. And they're just completely consumed with, but are they, are they getting circumcised? And how does that practically work, by the way? I don't mean to be crude at all, but are we, are we doing show and tell on a Sunday to make sure you are? I mean, how are you proving circumcised? What about the girls? They don't have to be circumcised. I mean, all of this is coming about, and it's just such a huge thing to them. And yet there's really no way to... No one's sitting there saying, okay, let's prove it. It really has no weight. And yet it's causing crazy division. Crazy divisions. It's putting people under bondage. They just have this need to justify themselves through the law. You know, again, we, can, we have to be careful not to do this in church. You know, sometimes a church service does not look, quote, that good on the outside. Maybe it seems quiet. Maybe it seems boring. Speaker's not that good. What do you really want? Do you really want to see people's hearts changed or do you want a performance? A lot of times the performance makes you feel better. You can hear a great sermon, breaking a bread, got people standing up every second, worshiping great music. All those things are great and I like all of them. But the point is you can actually do all those things and your heart be far from it. So how do you judge? I think it's just a mind focus of what's going on on the inside with that person. Is it possible that we can actually have a break in the bread where it is quiet and everyone's actually happy? Everyone's just 
just quiet before the Lord. They're just awestruck. Is that possible? (laughs) Maybe you're the only one missing out on that. We have times of 15 minutes of silence, and it's not because we're bored. It's not because, it's just because everyone's sitting there just, they just can't get over them. That's possible. Do we let these types of actions stick with us and let it affect us so much? When you come to church, is other people's actions just completely consuming your mind? Why aren't they standing up and breaking a bread? Okay, why aren't they praying more? Hey, they were wearing the head covering last week, but not this week. Are those things consuming your mind? There was a story of two monks on a pilgrimage who came to the ford of a river. There they saw a girl dressed in all her finery, obviously not knowing what to do. Since the river was high, she didn't want to spoil her clothes. Without much discussion, one of the monks took her on his back, carried her across, and put her down on the dry ground on the other side. Then they continued on their journey, but the other monk started complaining. Surely it isn't right to touch a woman. It's against the commandment to have close contact with women. How could you go against your rule as a monk? The monk who carried the girl walked along silently, but finally he replied, I set her down by the river an hour ago. Why are you still carrying her? There's things that people have worked out between them and the Lord, and you're still worried about it. Jesus Christ has set us free for freedom's sake. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, at this point of the message, it would seem like, hey, I like this message. If you're like me, it sounds like anything goes as long as people get saved. Don't worry about that law. Don't worry about being too crazy about church doctrine. Jesus understands. Let's just basically do what we want on a Sunday. Well, that's why it's interesting that Paul's next going to address the flesh. (laughs) And remember, this is a problem because they're fighting about it. He has freed you. From the flesh. And now again, sometimes there in verse 16, I love where it says in chapter 5, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Someone has once said, you know, that verse does not say something like this. If you don't fulfill the lust of your flesh, you're walking in the Spirit. You see, the order is all mixed up there. It actually says, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. In other words, if you actually want victory over your flesh, you have to walk in the Spirit first. And it's a mindset, again, that people just want self-control. They want to just be free from their guilt of sin. They want more self-control, and they realize it's not getting anywhere. Well, that's because, as we have said over and over, and this is something, again, I, I feel like I say a lot to myself and probably a lot from this pulpit, is that you have to walk in the Spirit first. You cannot just have your Christian walk be about what you don't do without you doing anything. 
The Christian is already justified. The Christian is already saved. They are already on their way to perfection in heaven. Sin has been dealt with. And yet they still struggle against the flesh. So what do we do about it? You have to positively get on the offense and walk in the Spirit. That's what you do. And if not, you can go back into the slavery that Jesus Christ saved you from and have your flesh take over all the time. In fact, it continues to talk about the fact that it's a war. And you will battle this your whole life. But I find in my own battle against the flesh, I always say, you know what the battle is? I'm good enough. I'm good enough to stop sinning. I'm good enough to stop sinning. Instead of going, you know what? Maybe I should focus on walking in the Spirit. (laughs) Maybe I should do that. Jesus Christ has freed us from the guilt of sin. The guilt of it. It doesn't have to have power over us. It doesn't have to enslave us. There was a 12-year-old who accidentally killed one of his family's geese by throwing a rock. Figuring his parents wouldn't notice. One of 24 gone, he buried it. But his sister caught him. Said, I saw what you did. If you don't wash the dishes for me, I'll tell mom. The boy did the dishes for days. One, the boy, one day the boy said, you do the dishes. Sister looked right at him and said, I'll tell mom. The boy said, I already told her and she forgave me. I'm free again. I am amazed, especially in church life, how we have been freed from the guilt of sin and yet the guilt of our own sin would weigh us down. That's why the Bible says confess it and move on. He's free. I cannot emphasize again how much he is wanting your freedom. That he freed you from it. What about self-control? I wish I had more. There was a story once of Toad and Frog. Toad baked some cookies. These cookies smell very good, he said, and he ate one. They taste even better. Then before, he ran to Frog's house. Frog, you got to taste these cookies that I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best I've ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate a lot of cookies. You know, Toad, said Frog with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We'll soon get sick. You're right, said Toad. Let's eat one last cookie, then we'll stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog said, Toad, let's eat one last cookie, and then we'll stop. Frog and Toad ate one very last cookie. we got to stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another one. Yes, we need willpower. What's willpower, said Toad? Willpower is trying hard not to do something you really want to do. You mean like trying hard not to eat all these cookies? Right, said Frog. He then put the cookies in a box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. Ah, that's true, said Frog. He tied some string around the box. There, now we won't eat any more cookies. We can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That's true. He got a ladder. He put the box up on a high shelf. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. We can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and... Cut the string and open the box, said Toad. Oh, that's true too, said Frog. He climbed the ladder and took the box down from the shelf. 
He cut the string, opened the box. Frog took the box outside and shouted in a loud voice, Hey, birds, here's some cookies. Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yeah, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. You may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home to bake a cake. (laughs) The idea that we constantly think that one day we will have self-control over our own fleshly desires that war against our soul and that one day we'll be strong enough is ridiculous. The Bible is full with saying we can't. And so why do we try? And I think I said, I think there's so many times where when dealing with people in the assembly or dealing with church stuff, you have problems with people and you just keep going, but I'm going to get better at it. Without trusting in the Lord, without going to the Lord with your problems, without reading his word, you're just going to be a better you. Yeah. And even in that process, you're actually fulfilling your flesh. And then we start to war with one another. The whole point of this are we saying, hey, Jesus Christ has made you free. Do not bite and devour one another. Do not be consumed one another. Is for verse 13 of chapter 5. For you, brethren, have been called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We again, I would like to bring to remembrance just how valuable loving one another is to Jesus Christ. Just how valuable he is. Just how much it's on his heart that we as a people would love one another. And that he has freed us so that we actually can. Don't you get it that he's sitting here saying, listen, stand fast in your freedom. He made you free for freedom's sake. Why? So that you could actually not take this freedom and just do whatever you want and say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven no matter what. So you could not sit there and try to put the law on someone, but that for the first time in your life, because you are actually free, you can love someone without the power of the flesh, without self-justification, without all this other stuff that messes us up. You are free to actually love someone the way I love them. Now go love people. I'm amazed at thinking about Jesus Christ loving us without a hint of sin in Him. We don't even know what it means to love people without sin. Typically, we have selfish motives why we love people. Typically, we're hurt if they don't respond the right way. He loved us and gave Himself for us with absolutely no sin. He loved us, not trying to quote, make us better and and uphold the standard. He said, I wiped it out. I became a curse on the tree. The law is done. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Now I've also freed you. Can you love one another like this? And watch out, because your typical response will be to bite and devour one another. Isn't that amazing? It's Christmas time. I love this time of year because people typically get nicer. 
a little more love is spread around. People talk about peace on earth. Let's give some money. Let's, let's do X, Y, Z. People are typically nicer. And you know what? It can't last. January, February will come. The bills and the, will come in from the presents they bought, and everyone will be upset with each other. The kids will have turned away their toys that the parents are so proud of. Things were broken. All that stuff happens in January and February because it cannot last. We cannot love people in our own condition. We cannot. We have to be freed. And Jesus Christ has set us free. He set us free by becoming a man down here and dying on the cross, saying you no longer have to do this sole justification of yourself. You no longer have to be controlled by your flesh. I will set you free so you can love people. What a great God we serve. Ken, will you close our time in corporate prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for uh, loving us purely with a pure, holy love, a love that truly is set apart. We, uh, we probably cannot even comprehend what it really means that you love us from your position. The Creator loving the created with no sin. The depth of your love is amazing. Help us to love one another. Help us, Lord, to love one another. It seems easier to love sometimes during this time of the year. It's so nice. People are actually nicer. And yet, we will still fail. We pray that we would be completely dependent on you. That we would walk by your Spirit. That we would be led by your Spirit. That we would wake up with attitudes of teach us how to do the day. Oh God, we need you so bad. Help us just to love people. In your name, amen.